Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 61 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Hunter x Hunter episodes 56 through 58, where Kurapika takes on the entire Phantom Troop. Oh wow, this is going to be a big thing for Kurapika. You know, the, the other thing inside of his life is... Um, having to figure out where to put all those chains in his very many different pockets. Um, I, I believe that's I how it he... works, right? You know, kind of like how um, a magician has all bunch of scarves inside of their sleeves. Um, and Magicians just... use magic, Spencer. What are you talking about? Hold on here. Let's ta- let's have a real conversation about how Blake believes that magicians are real. If, if this is magicians are real. If this is part yeah. of Blake's canon, it's ridiculous. You're like one of those people inside of that new show on Netflix that's just like like people magic or whatever it is where like they convince the guy people ma- you know that Emmy award winning show people magic. <laughs> they convince this guy that he's invisible and he like legitimately believes that it just happened and I was just like it's a magic. <laughs> okay, let's jump in. Believe in something, Spencer. What did I just say? Anyways, <laughs> uh, we're back this week, you guys, uh, with a lot of news outside of our show's world that is going on. Um, partially outside of anime, depending on how you feel about it. Yeah, so uh, a couple of things that I wanted to go over really quick. Um, uh, just so you know, I have binge-watched all of Dragon Prince because I am an Avatar The Last Airbender uh, obsessor, um, so I... We'll watch anything that is created by those creators. Uh, I am happy to report that it is good. And it is also um, a very different art style than you are probably going to be used to. Um, if you watch a lot of anime or if you watch a lot of like American cartoon works, um, it is in the same style. If you saw um, Kubo and the last uh, Kubo and the two strings, um, I believe that's what it's called. Uh, so the way yeah. was that? it? Yeah, it's, it's two strings or three strings. It's some um, Kubo and some undetermined amount of strings. <laughs> okay. Anyways, so <laughs> the movie's fantastic, by the way. Yeah. So the way that they did theirs was mixing CGI with uh, claymation. Um, so you see, like these these uh, it's it's almost feels blocky. Um, and it feels kind of like oddly not smooth. And that was done by this company called Leica. Um, but this one is done by mixing um, a uh, drawn style with a CGI style. So if you can imagine, though, they, they call it, they still call it mixed media, um, but it is just, it's two very differing styles just smashed together, um, which gives it a very different feel. Um, so when you go into I it, thought it was. I thought it was like cell shaded, like the Naruto games, or like um, kind of like if you've watched. Uh, oh God, what's the name of that show? Knights of Sidonia on Netflix. It is way better than it's Knights like the three D animation. Yeah, it's way better than Knights of Sidonia. Um, Knights of Sidonia is a show on Netflix that calls itself an anime. Um, it's very frustrating because the show's plot and action are very, very good with subpar and like like 
3D animation style. And all I want yeah. in the whole world is them to just do a straight up anime of Knights of Sidonia because I would watch that shit all day. Or just like do something exciting with the direction of that series. Yeah. Like it's a it's a series that's worth watching on the merits of its story, but it doesn't do a lot with the visuals. Yeah. Anyways, the other news from the creators of Avatar The Last Airbender is that they're fucking putting out a live-action version of it on Netflix, because Netflix... They're making it again. Yeah. So, this time, we have the added help of having the original director and the original writer of the series on it, which is very exciting. Um, so, we we can also... The can- last time someone tried to make live-action <laughs> without their help, uh, it was not good by any stretch of the imagination i'm wondering if like in the you know in the the writer for the writer and director to come back and do the live action series with netflix if they were just like can we confirm that m night Shyamalan will be in another country and all at all times that we are working (laughs) on this so that he will not fuck up anything It's also cool because Avatar The Last Airbender is a beloved series that many, many people have seen, but there's also a lot of people who haven't seen it, and it's kind of hard to find. I don't think it's on, as far as I know, it's not on any of the major streaming services, and so like people know about it because it had a huge cultural moment and kind of still resides in our cultural consciousness, or at least it does in my experience. Mm -hmm. Usually when I mention it to people, even if they haven't seen it, they know about it, Mm -hmm. but... Um, a lot of people haven't seen it because it's not available if you don't like buy the DVDs and it's animated and it's animated in the anime style. So people that might watch something that's animated, but don't like anime, aren't going to pick it up. People that don't, that think all animated stuff is for children. Like it is a kid's show, but it's extremely deep and dark and deals with a lot of adult themes Mm -hmm. and is definitely worth watching and you probably get much more out of it as an adult than you do as a kid. Yeah. Like it's so good, but it's really limited. And so it's exciting to see the creators coming back with a live action series. That's going to be able to attract the people who just like, I don't know. I've met some people in my life that are just like, I can't watch it because it's animated and I don't like watching animated things. Yeah. And that's fucking dumb, yeah. but whatever. So those people will be able to watch this. So the easiest way that I can explain to bring people into Avatar The Last Airbender, if you're finding yourself hitting a wall with trying to convince your friends to watch it, or if you're hitting a wall trying to convince yourself to watch it, is if you like Harry Potter, um, the way that Harry Potter was created uh, over years and years feels like the the experiences of the kids in the first book to the last book are very um, very much following somebody as they age inside of their life. So from the very beginning to the very end, there is a there's a much more nuanced um, style of growing up like shown inside of it. Like the crazy shit that happens to him at the end of the you know the last book that I won't spoil just in case somebody hasn't ever read the Harry Potter series or seen the movies. That shit wouldn't have an, would not have happened to him in the very first book when he was just like a first year. And that's kind yeah. of how you can explain it to people with like Avatar The Last Airbender. It's just like, look, it's going to start right. out being a little bit more kitty. And the biggest reason why is that it's, it's starting from Aang waking up, being a child, coming from a world that is much more innocent than the world that he is thrust into. And by the end of the show, he's trying to find a semblance of his, like, balance inside of this world 
that he can bring back. You know, it's it's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those. That's um. Was that? I was just gonna say that's a really excellent comparison. I never thought about it that way, but it is like when Harry Potter starts off, it's just kind of a particularly good, particularly imaginative children's book. Like it's enjoyable for people that are not children, but it's kind of kitty. And, um, and then it really matures as the series goes on. And of course it has a, a sort of mature backbone kind of living underneath the surface of the more like young adult fiction shenanigans that go on in the earlier books. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, if you watch Avatar from the beginning, which you should, because it's a a story that's told linearly, the first couple of episodes, they're really charming. They're not like dumbed down or juvenile in the way that a lot of kids shows can be, but they aren't super deep, but there's something deep bubbling under the surface. Mm -hmm. And if you're having a hard time being hooked, I would encourage you to stick with it for a couple of episodes because one of the earlier episodes deals with an extremely emotional moment where the character kind of has to confront the reality of this new world. And that I think is the best way to draw people in who are looking for something a little bit more serious or a little less aimed at kids. Yeah. And I think that's a really apt comparison to pull in Harry Potter there because that there is a really similar progression. Although avatars, I think, I mean, it's only three seasons. And so that progression takes place a lot quicker. Yeah. And, and I would say that by, by the end of the show, there's there's an episode that makes me cry literally every single time inside of the third season. Um, um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure you know which one I'm talking about, Blake. I won't spoil it for anybody. Um, but uh, there there is a character um, named Iroh, um, and you will learn something about him that will haunt you to your very end of your days. Um, <laughs> yep, it, it will it will it's break good. you. <laughs> it's good, and you should watch it. And now you'll get even more opportunities to watch it. Yeah, who knows? Maybe that maybe they could shit the bed with this. But because it's the same creators, I think we can get excited. They made Avatar. It's the same property. There are definitely going to be different limitations placed on doing something live action. And but with Netflix, I mean, they're probably going to get enough money to do some pretty decent special effects and have some interesting locations. And um, so that's all really exciting. I think the only way they could really fuck it up is if they try to take the series in a dramatically different direction and it just doesn't work. But that seems pretty unlikely. I mean, I'm sure that some of the stories will be different or materialize in different ways based on the different medium and the time that's passed since they made the original show. But Mm -hmm. I I mean, this is really, really exciting news. I, I think an Avatar live action series is exciting on its face. I mean, it's something that I, as an Avatar fan, have wanted for a long time, is a live-action adaptation that was worth a damn, which we did not have, and still, to this point, do not have. Uh, and this seems like it's going to turn that around. Yeah. So, so that's really exciting. And in other news, uh, there is also a live-action Bleach movie um, that, yeah. that came out. Um, if you are interested in that, it is starting to garner some good reviews. Um, I have it set, uh, downloaded into my next Netflix queue um, to watch soon. Um, I don't know how I will feel about it. I am nervous, but uh, cautiously optimistic. Um, Blake yeah. is also going to be doing a new uh, blog, the first 
uh, the first anime that he is going to be covering is going to be Bleach. Um, so it'll be like a really cool tie-in for you to see yeah. what is happening inside of this new version. See what is happening that Bleach. Uh, you're you're watching the anime or reading the manga? I'm reading the manga. Yeah. And then I am going to be watching the series Bleach in anime form and doing a reaction uh, video back up to those. Um, so if you want to get all yeah. the fucking Bleach you could possibly handle, be prepared. We're coming out with it. Yeah, so this is really exciting stuff for us as a podcast because we're going to be putting out more coverage. Um, I'm going to be writing stuff so you guys can consume podcast-style material in writing, if you want more of our stuff, or if you really like reading uh, blog posts and stuff like that, and you would like our podcast in a blog format, you can get that. Um, we're going to be covering Bleach. That's also going to give you guys another series to follow, in addition to our number, our four. There, We're still going to keep four in rotation, so you guys can count on the podcast. It's not going to shift its format or anything like that. We're really just adding to it. Yeah. And then Spencer's going to have video stuff for you. So if you're more somebody that wants um, video instead of written, if you'd like that, then you can go over in that direction and see what he's doing. If you just want to consume everything, then we're just giving you more stuff to to consume and more platforms to do it on. So that's all exciting um, a lot of this is also going to be tied to our Patreon, so uh, if you're not a patron, um, we'll be keeping you up to date on when these things go live and what things are available to patrons only, so um, keep your eye on that. But yeah, the Bleach movie, it's out now. It's supposed to be really good. Um, I think that really good probably comes with an asterisk, like it's really good for an anime adaptation <laughs> or something like that, but... You know, I don't think it's going to be winning any Academy Awards or anything for Best Picture, but uh, I I don't know. I watched a trailer. It looks pretty sweet. Like, it looks like a cool rendition. It looks like it's faithful in the ways that you want it to be faithful. It looks like the CG is pretty good, and the action sequences are supposed to be exciting, and it's been getting a lot of positive buzz, and it covers... Um, the entire first arc of Bleach. So if you're familiar with Bleach, it starts off as like a monster fighting manga and then pretty quickly in the second arc turns into a just fighting manga. The monsters aren't super important after the first arc. Um, and it's going to cover all the way up until the lead into the second arc. So I think the movie is going to end on a cliffhanger based on what I've read about the parts of the plot that it covers. Um, if you're not familiar with Bleach and you want to know about it, then keep your eyes, uh, or I guess keep your ears peeled to our podcast and we'll let you know once that stuff is available and then you can check it out. Cool. So with that, uh, we are going to go ahead and uh, jump into our previously on Hunter x Hunter. All right. So we've got our main cast of characters uh, main character is Gone, who's a 12-year-old kid. He's really optimistic, and he is super skilled because he kind of grew up in the wilderness, and so he has um, good senses, and um, he's pretty strong and fast. Um, and he's like strong and fast in the anime version, so he can really pick up on things, and he's extremely quick and very, very strong because he's a kid in the anime and that's the kind of strong we're dealing with. He is besties with Killua, who is about his age and is more of a strong silent type. Killua is also a child of a family of assassins. And so he has um, a lot of 
skills as far as growing up, learning to be a professional assassin in a family that is known for that. Um, and his personality is a little more subdued and a little more contemplative as a result. Um, they are a friend. They've recently reconnected with their friends from the first arc of the series. The friends are called Karapika and Leorio. Uh, Leorio's not going to get a ton of screen time here, and he is also kind of the odd man out in their group. He is a little bit older than the rest of the characters. He is also not nearly as skilled as them, so he's still involved in the plot, and he's still pretty earnest, but he just can't be as involved because he's not as powerful um, or is able to preserve himself in a fight. So he's usually kind of helping out in a support role. Um, so we might hear a little bit about him. He is in these episodes, but he doesn't do a ton. Yeah. Um, Karapika is much more important. He has actually kind of been more of a main character in this arc than Gon and Killua, even though they are more main characters than him in the series as a whole. The arc we're in is the Phantom Troop arc, and Karapika has a history with the Phantom Troop, which is that his his clan, called the Kurta clan, was massacred by the Phantom Troop. As far as we know, Karapika is the only Kurta clan member left alive. Um, the clan was massacred because their eyes turned scarlet when they're angry, and if you kill them while their eyes are scarlet, they stay that way, and it's considered very beautiful by really fucked up collectors. <laughs> so they were all massacred by the Phantom Troop, and Karapika is out to get revenge on the Phantom Troop. He's already succeeded in killing one of their member, and so the Phantom Troop is on alert to try and find him and take him out before he can harm them further. Uh, Karapika got a job as a bodyguard with a rich family called the Nostrada family in order to get close to this auction that the Phantom Troop was going to attack. In doing so, he made friends with a woman named Melody, who looks kind of like Wormtail from the Harry Potter series, because she heard some sort of devil's symphony and it has permanently disfigured her. However, she's a pretty nice and pretty cool character. She has extremely acute hearing and uses that to do things like detect whether people are lying or track people from long distances. Um, So she's going to be working with our main group of heroes. Uh, The Phantom Troop is our main group of villains, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to see all of them in these episodes, but uh, I'm not going to cover them individually here. We'll just cover them as they come up and it's relevant. Even the characters that play a more direct role in this these sets of episodes are not going to be super relevant to know like who they are in great detail. Um, the Phantom Troop overall is a group of 12 thieves who are also super powerful, super dangerous. Um, I guess they can be hired out to be assassins as well, since that's what happened with the Kurta clan. Um, They're also run by a 13th member named Krolo, who's going to be one of our main focuses in this episode. Um, At the present, the Phantom Troop members are thought to have been killed off for the most part, including Krolo, based on a clever ruse that they set up. And um, they are not dead, and they're going to be trying to kill Karapika in this episode. Um, This has all been taking place against the backdrop of an auction, which we'll revisit at the very end of these episodes. And where we left off last time was that Killua had gone off after convening with the other heroes to try and track down the Phantom Troop and their hideout, because uh, he and Gon were captured and taken to their hideout earlier. When he arrived where the hideout should be, he found that there are way more buildings than there used to be and that they are kind of identical buildings. So there's some sort of Nen user who's able to create large objects like buildings and that's where we pick up with episode 56 cool 
This is episode 56, Beloved X and X Beleaguered. Um, so, uh, we uh, are going to be dealing with uh, a couple of different things inside of this episode. Um, the biggest one is that uh, we... We're going to spend most of the time just kind of chatting about what's been going on um, and then people deciding if they should or should not go after things. Um, we've talked about this a bunch of times inside of Hunter x Hunter, but a lot of times they they will spend more time talking about what they're about to do than actually doing it so that you can get a lot of backstory for the thing that you're about to see. Um yeah, and half the time they talk themselves out of doing whatever it was you were excited for them to do. Yeah. But I, I gotta say, last time we covered Hunter x Hunter, we put together a group of episodes that were pretty boring as far as a plot progression goes. Um, it was about three episodes that could have been reasonably covered in a single episode. Mm-hmm. And um, this time, I think they still don't really come to the kind of conflicts and big badass anime fights that I'd like to see, but I was really pleasantly surprised by how intense and interesting and enjoyable these episodes were. Yeah. So, um, Krolo, the leader of the troop, um, he is going to determine pretty quickly that, um, the, the chain user is probably a bodyguard of the Nostrad family. We are also going to cut to one of the other bodyguards who is the guy that can control dogs. Um, he is going to be, uh, yeah, his name's Squala. Yeah. He talks about how he doesn't want uh he he doesn't want to um be a bodyguard anymore that he just took this job so that he can support the woman that he loves and also this big Cuz otherwise of they would be living has. in Squala. Uh, okay. Anyways, do you get it? Yeah. So, he is still um he is still holding on to the eyes that they bought from the auction um or that were stolen from the auction whatever um and uh, which are fake eyes yeah. if you remember from our last time's coverage but nobody knows this except the phantom troop yeah so the phantom troop is able to um to trace these nin created eyes because the the creator of them is part of the phantom troop and part of uh his her i don't know which ability um Let's just say its ability. Yeah. Um, their name is Cortopi, so you figure it out. Okay, sure. They let's go with they as their pronoun. Um, anyways, um, they uh, uh, are have the ability to track um, to a very very specific area where their nin is attached, um, and so they start running across town to find um, where these nin eyes are being held. Um, this, uh, this is going to alert, um, all of the other characters that are following after the Phantom Troop and trying to find them, um, because they have ran into Melody and because, uh, Melody has these like super powered hearing ears, um, uh, her ability is being able to hear from like crazy long distances and being able to like pick out how many people are, um, with each other. So she is able to find among all of these different buildings, which building they are in. And when they go on the move to go try to get these eyes, the bodyguard, meanwhile, is just kind of chilling with his dogs, having a good time. Um, until he gets a fucking call that he's like, Hey, be aware. The Phantom Troop not only knows where you are, but they are also coming after you already. And even if you get in a car, it might not be fast enough. So you should better get the fuck out of there right now. Yeah. And unknown to our heroes is the fact that they are tracing the eyes specifically. So Squala leaves with his dogs and the eyes, which uh, is unwittingly 
allowing them to continue following Mm -hmm. him. Um, There's also a cool moment when uh, Melody and Killua are running alongside each other. And Melody's like, hey, you're an assassin, aren't you? And Killua's like, what are you talking about? I mean, yeah, but how do you know that? And she's like, "Ah, it's no big deal. I just can barely hear you stepping when you walk. And uh, you're actually the lightest footfalls I've ever heard, which is really sweet. I thought it was a cool moment of character building for Killua and just another example of why he's super badass. Yeah. Um, so the, they're going to tail the Phantom Troop members for a little while. And um, they're going to figure out that the Phantom Troop, like they basically take the subway to the section of town where this hotel is. And when they get out of the hotel, they're in communication with um, Gon and Karapika and Leorio, who are in a car nearby, keeping tabs on where the troop members are going. And then when the troop comes out of the underground, they can sense that the the eyes that they're tracking have probably gotten in a car because of how their pace has quickened. And so they kind of take off at a run, which prompts Karapika to get out of the car and run after them because they're trapped in traffic, so it's faster to run. Yeah, and, and then Gon goes after him. Yeah, and Leorio's stuck in the car in traffic being like, well, fuck, I don't want to just leave the car in traffic, so yeah. I guess I'll stay it's here. It's for the best. Anyways, yeah. um, Killua, is, uh, Killua and Melody are in hot pursuit. Uh, Melody is going to break off from Killua to go um, and kind of fall back and be uh, the ears of the organization to track. Um, Killua is going to try to catch up with Gon and Kirapika to make sure that they can, uh, survive. Um, meanwhile, the Phantom Troop, uh, they notice that they are being followed by Gon and Kirapika. So, um, the lead... Well, they know that they're being followed by two people. Yes. They don't know who it is. So, what they're gonna do is they're gonna break off, um, they're gonna do this badass moment where the, uh, Krolo fully turns around... Um, and while he is getting ready to attack, the other two members that are with him um, both turn and use, uh, uh, what is it, Ren at the same time? Yo at the same time, so they can see a crazy long distance. But they do it, as soon as they turn, it is sensed by Kurapika and Gon, who both jump out to the side at the same time, or to different sides at the same time, one into an alley and one behind, like, a mailbox. Um, and... Uh, they were like, we couldn't figure out who it is. It's definitely two people. It was only silhouettes that we saw because we couldn't catch them fast enough. Um, and Killua has just caught up with Kirapika. So they come up with an idea very quickly, which is to get Kirapika the fuck out of there. Um, just tell him to leave. And then Killua stands in as the person, the other person that was chasing after them because there were two. Um, because they have some sort of an alibi and they have met up with the spiders before, they think that they are going to be able to kind of like get away with this and just, you know, be like, well, we were just chasing you because we thought that, you know, you might still have a bounty on your head. We didn't know that it got removed from your head. And also like, I love that immediately after seeing them, God, I can never, Nobunaga, like, he's like, oh, so you finally came to your senses, come to join the Phantom Troop, hey? And he's so fucking excited to see them. (laughs) I know, he, like, wants to be their friend so badly, he literally is like, let's be friends now, and they're like, fuck off. (laughs) But, yeah, so they get captured, and they try to talk their way out of it by just playing dumb about the reward having been removed from the spider's heads. Mm -hmm. Um, the spiders are not having it. And that's because um, 
they have deduced that these two might know something about the chain user. Mm -hmm. Even though they already tried to get that information out of them earlier, they weren't able to, but they think that since then they might have learned who the user is or that they somehow were able to block the information from being taken from them uh, by one of the troop members who can read memories. Mm -hmm. And so they want to, they have already mentioned several times how they'd like to recapture them in order to try again and figure out the information that they didn't get last time. And so unfortunately for Gon and Killua, that means that instead of letting them get away, they're going to take them into custody. Although on the flip side, they're at least not going to kill them. So it's not all bad. Yeah. At the same time, Squala has been captured. He very wisely understands that they are going to kill him and all of his dogs if he doesn't just tell the dogs to leave. He lets the dogs run off into the night, and then he uh, pretends like he's going to be able to get into a fight with uh, these troop members, but what he was really planning to do is run after his dogs. Anyways, he is caught mid-motion stepping out. Um, Nobunaga at that time, um, he's he tells him if he moves again that he's going to cut him down. Um, and, oh god, I can never remember her name. Uh, the Phantom Troop member... Pakunoda. Uh, Akunoda is, um, is the one that's able to read minds and take out memories. Um, she pulls all the memories out that this guy knows about Kuripika, so she learns Kuripika's name, his face, what his, some of his abilities look like they might do, um, and she collects all of these, um, inside of herself, and then he moves again, and he tries to attack her, and as soon as he does, Nobodaga uh, snaps out, basically cuts his head off. I, I didn't see his head fall on the floor, but he slashes him super it's, fast. Um, it, they definitely cut his head off, but it's done in a really stylized, cool way with um, the way that they... the Whoever directed this episode did a really great job. So you, like, you see a slash across the screen, and then you see Squala's face looking kind of stunned... And spinning in a sort of unnatural arc from kind of like 90 degree tilted until like his eyes are are almost on the bottom of his head slowly while the background moves behind him. So it, it gives the impression that his head is disembodied and flying through the air, yeah. which it is. And then the next shot, you see Nobunaga in the foreground with his sword out. So you realize what happened. And it does the... Um, the top of the screen cuts off right at Squala's shoulders, so you can't see it. But there is a, a blink and you miss it moment where you can see the head fall. Yeah. Anyways, um, that is going to be um, this the rest of this episode. Um, and we go straight into episode 57, Initiative X and X Law. This episode is a fuck ton of talking with one really cool part. Um, the, but it's, it's really good. This is a, yes. a really tense sequence and it's done very well. Even though you and I both have watched this series before, I didn't remember exactly how it played out. So I was glued to the screen. Yeah. So, um, all of the troop members have regathered, uh, except for the troop members that are holding down the fort. Um, these members are going to, um, be getting ready to interrogate Gon and Killua. Um, the rest of the troop members... They're in a... They are in a hotel lobby. They're not back at the base. Mm -hmm. So it's about six... I think it's six of them, including Crollo, mm -hmm. in the hotel lobby, which leaves six of them back in their headquarters. Yeah. So, um, I, I can't remember if it's last episode or this episode where, um, uh, where she uses the, the memory bomb, 
Um, it's this uh, ability that um, she has to shoot her memories into somebody else's head. I believe she does it into Nobunaga last episode or the beginning of this episode. I can't remember. Yeah, anyway. it's actually no- Nobunaga and Kortopi in the last episode because they're the the uh, the three of them are the ones that broke off to follow Squala and the Eyes, mm-hmm. while um, Krolo and the other two stopped Gon and Killua. Yeah. So this um, ability is is gives the uh, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. So the thing that it's able to do is she can pick out all of the memories that she wants to share with somebody else and then shoot them through a gun into their head with these like specialized bullets that she has. Um, and the way that she keeps on doing it too is just like, do you trust me? And I'm like, I'm wondering if that's like her her nin ability. Um, one of the uh, stipulations inside of it, how kind of how how, how Kira Pika has. Um, is that the person has to um, genuinely trust in order to be shot and dead. I don't think that's it. I think it's actually a little simpler than that, which is that her guns are real guns, and the bullets become Nen bullets. Like, they, they shoot you harmlessly to fill you with memories when she infuses them with her Nen. So she's asking them if, she tr- if they trust her to not shoot them in the head. Mm. Anyways... Uh, was the impression that I got. What do you guys think? <laughs> Anyways, so um, Gon and Killua are about to be interrogated um, when they uh, they get interrupted by Leorio in disguise as a um, a as Leorio <laughs> as, as basically just Leorio um, acting like a businessman on the phone, being loud and obnoxious, and turning on the radio that is about three about one song away from turning into seven o'clock. Um, he gives a message that they pick up on as the lights will go dark at 7 p.m. on the dot. Um, and he does this by being kind of obnoxious. The troop is like, should we kill him? And <laughs> like, Krolo's like, no, it's fine. Just ignore him. Don't look at him. Yeah, he's just a dude. <laughs> anyway. He's annoying. Ignore him. Yeah. Um, ignore me! <laughs> so, um, so as soon as the, like, 7 o'clock hits... The lights go out for a second, um, and uh, this is before she is able to read their minds completely. The only thing that she is able to do is she's able to pull out very, very light bits of information that she needs, and this gives her... Yeah, mostly about their escape attempt that's happening right the fuck now. Yeah, so it literally gives her just a second for her to start a reaction, the reason, like, why this is important, as they've explained a couple of times inside of their inner monologue, is that they need, uh, Kuripika needs about 0.5 seconds in order to attack somebody. Then, um, Killua is like, I need about 0.7 seconds to attack. And both times, after saying these phrase, like, saying this out loud, they're like, this is not enough time, it's plenty of time for the Phantom Troop members to react to what I'm about to do. Um, so yeah. they, they're like, oh, well, if it's about to go dark, um, Killua's like, I can break my, I can dislocate my fingers, then relocate my fingers in order to, um, to fight and attack in 0.7 sections. And when the lights go dark, they don't have enough time to react immediately. So then like I, their, their eyes won't adjust. So they won't be able to see. Yet. Yeah. 
So, um, Kirapika breaks, uh, oh, sorry, Killua breaks out of his, um, his string that's binding him, um, by the girl that has the ability to make Nen strings. Um, you'll remember her yeah, from- I think her, her name is Michiro, but I don't remember yeah. exactly. You'll remember her from the show as the person that stitched back, uh, on the arms of Hisoka, um, inside of the, the last arc, um, and uh, she has these nin strings that are incredibly powerful and strong. Um, and the reason that Kiro, uh, Killua is able to break out is because he dislocated his fingers. Um, he breaks uh, the woman's arm that's holding um, him. Um, he, he breaks Pakunoto's left hand. Yeah. And then Gon actually kicks her in the face to escape as well. It breaks a which, filling. Um, we find out later. <laughs> yeah, it removed a molar. And then um, Gon, unfortunately, was not able to dislocate his hands. So he has not gotten his hands free from being tied behind his back by Michiro or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. So Killua goes, he realizes the only way to free Gon is to kill Michiro. So he rushes to get her and basically stab her through the heart with his hand, which he can do because he has been trained to be an assassin since he was born. But Michiro is anime powerful, so she is able to stop him and trap his hand by flexing her abs. Yeah. Which is almost felt out of place based on how, like, kind of ridiculous it is. But it, it sort of works in the moment. I'm going to throw out and they're able to... that while watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure before the show every week, I saw that and I was just like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, uh, so they, their escape attempt is not successful because Killua was not able to kill Michiro because as soon as he had murderous intent, they were able to sense where he was. And now his hand is stuck in her stomach, but not in a way that's going to hurt her. And Gon is still trapped and they, Gon tries to kick his way out, but, uh, it, Nobunaga grabs him. And now they're trapped by the five troop members, except, Big mistake, one of them is missing, and it's arguably the most important one. Yeah, so in the darkness of the attack, the other thing that we missed when we were paying attention to this sweet, sweet, uh, super short fight scene um, is that uh, Krolo had been abducted by Kiripika and Melody. Um, so um, when, he, when we find that out, um, he is already gone and inside of a car with Leorio, Melody, and Kiripika... Um, and he has been completely tied up by the, uh, the judgment change, um, that Kirapika uses, um, and he is being taken away. Um, we also get, uh, a pretty, like, a pretty cool little cutaway, um, where they're discussing what they need to do and figure out, um, uh, about what's been going on, and we see a knife shoot across the screen and stab into the wall next to Nobunaga's head, and he has moved out of the way. They pull it off, and then it reads like, uh, this is a message for the woman who reads minds. Give this to her. If she explains anything about, uh, about who I am or anything about my abilities, I kill your boss. It's, it's really fast, but it's really sweet that that happens. It's really, really cool. So now the situation is Krolo, the leader of the Phantom Troop, has been taken captive by Kurapika, who the troop knows can kill Phantom Troop members. And they really, like, as, for as much respect as they have of Krolo and his abilities, they really have no doubt that Kurapika can kill him, which is 
interesting because that's not usually how it goes with powerful characters in anime. Mm-hmm. Um, but it totally fits with this series. In On the flip side, Gon and Killua are also captured by the Phantom Troop, and Pakunoda now knows the uh, the identity of um, Kurapika, which so does Kortopi and Nobunaga, but unlike them, she has also learned uh, a little bit more about his abilities from touching Gon and Killua, but because she hasn't said anything to the rest of the troop members yet, when Kurapika's note arrives they are none the wiser. And so there's this really cool sequence, like the rest of this episode and the next episode are going to be all about these characters trying to kind of play chess against one another and think like, what do I know versus what does this other person know? And how does what I know about this other person and what I think they know affect what they behave, like how they're going to react in different scenarios so that I can pick how I make my moves. Yeah. So, so with that being said, there, um, this next episode, uh, episode 58, Signal X and X Retreat, this episode really, um, it, you could have cut the very, the very front part of this episode to when Crollo was abducted and stuck it on, or, um, and stuck it onto the previous episode and then took the second half of this episode and stick it onto the next episode because this all feels like one very quick arc. Um, and I kind of understood how, why they broke it into like these, um, these couple of episodes. But the way that it goes together, it it would have been better explained, at, at least to me, if it had been like two 45-minute or hour-long episodes um, that do yeah. this. They, this happens a lot in anime, and I, I was thinking about it, it while watching these episodes. They don't appreciate uh, the arc structure all the time inside of uh, the United States, which is like if you're writing a television show, you want the television show to have an act one, act two, and act three. And by the end of that episode, there to be a full arc explaining everything and then to move on to the next episode. Anime does this yeah, thing. You'll also usually have grander arcs that run for an entire season. Yeah. And then usually when you start a new season, you often have some sort of shift in the status quo that that sets up how this season is different mm-hmm. and subsequently leads into that season's own unique arc that it's telling. Yeah. So that's why you'll yeah. run into a lot of times instead of anime, a series of episodes that are like five episodes and every single one of those episodes, if you just, you took out the intro explaining things that are going on, the opening and the closing and the explanation of what's happening next time and ran them all together, it would feel more cohesive, especially in like our, yeah. the American way of watching shows. Um, and that's the really, really the way that this one felt. If like the it's the knife going into the wall was the very end of the last episode, it would have felt very American. And then all of the rest of the things that are going to occur happen in the next episode. After that, it would feel more cohesive. And that's that's one of the things that bothers me at the very end of this episode as well. Like the episode fifty eight, they do like a denouement for like the very end of the the um. Uh, of this part of the Phantom Troop um, that I, I appreciate, but like it's really just in there to remind you that this this other person that we will find out more about in this episode um, was really a person and was really respected by the people that she was like palling around with um, these other Phantom Troop members. Yeah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so this is it's also yeah it's an interesting distinction between the way that American television is made, where each episode is its own story playing into a larger story through the season, 
And sometimes seasons will even play into a larger story. Like I'm thinking of Lost Mm -hmm. is really a story told over six seasons. And each season has its own different things that it's focusing on. But it's all a part of a larger story versus some shows like, I don't know, Vampire Diaries. There's the larger story is really just the framing of what the show is about. Mm -hmm. And each season tells its own story. Whereas you get things like anime, which is generally going to be based off of manga and manga chapters traditionally are about one half to one third, the amount of content needed to make a 20 minute episode. And they are also collected into um, these things called Tankoban, which is the equivalent of an American comic books trade paperback. And so a lot of the times there will be smaller arcs that are covered in seven to nine chapters so that they can be collected into Tankoban in the same way that a lot of American comic books cover their stories in four to six chapters Mm -hmm. or four to six issues because they can be collected in a trade paperbacks. So it's all kind of a different storytelling based on the media that it's coming out in. However, anime is the sort of secondary offshoot media of the manga. So you have this manga storytelling that's That's telling, you know, if you've got nine chapters, you're telling three to five episodes worth of story per Tonkoban. And it just doesn't always filter out into exact sensible breaking off points like it might if it were being created to be a show rather than to be a manga adaptation. So anyways, uh, with that being said, this episode, um, the rest of the stuff that's going to be happening, um, there's really three big main points that we need to talk about. The first and foremost is uh, we need to talk about where the Phantom Troop came from in the first place and what the kind of respect that the Phantom Troop has for each other. So a little bit of backstory. The Phantom Troop, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, comes from this, um, this I, I think it's like an island or this continent that's basically like all of the um, discarded pieces of like trash, uh, discarded pieces of things that people don't want, including children, are thrown away. Um, and so we have this brief flashback where we find that Crollo brought all of these people together a really long time ago in the original Phantom Troop. There are a lot of the original members that were together since the very beginning. And one of the things they talked about is that the spider doesn't die when you take off its head. When the spider dies, one of the legs becomes the head and the spider continues. It's more important for the spider to continue than for one lead member when they break off for everybody else to lose their attachment um, to this roughly tied into together group. And that's a really cool, very important point that one of the characters is going to completely fucking disregard. So, um, yeah, the main, the character that I am talking about in this is our, our memory bullet creating, um, a member who, um, whose name keeps on going out of my head for some fucking reason. It's, um, Pakunoda. Pakunoda. So, so Pakunoda has an attachment very quickly we can see with Crollo. She thinks to herself, what Crollo would tell me to do is he would tell me to not given to any demands that are going to be given by this uh this person and to not listen to this letter that's telling me to not tell 
the Phantom Troop members what's going on, because if I tell the other members what's going on and how they can exploit this weakness, we can defeat him very easily. But if I do, they're going to kill this person that I have this deep and loving relationship with. Um, it's it's almost like a brother sister relationship you start to find out um, throughout this episode. Yeah, she is not she's not willing to sacrifice Crollo mm-hmm. in order to follow the actions that Crollo would probably want her to take. And in fact, she's going to come into conflict with the Phantom Troop, the rest of the members, because a lot of them realize that Crollo would rather die than have them yield to these demands and they end up coming into conflict and basically it only doesn't come to blows because there's a prohibition against troop members fighting one another and they hold to it mm-hmm. but some of the troop members side with Pakunoda um several of them citing that they disagree that this is what Krolo would want but at least one of them simply saying that she's not ready for them to lose Krolo yeah. and um it, it's a really interesting in, internal conflict and this is also set up against the backdrop of Crollo also trying to figure out Karapika. And what Crollo has deduced is that Karapika is talking a big game about trading Crollo for Gon and Killua. And basically, if anything happens to Gon and Killua, he's going to kill Crollo immediately. And while Crollo does not doubt Karapika's um, ability or intent to harm or kill him, what he realizes is that Karapka is actually not serious about being able to allow Gon and Killua to come to harm. And he deduces that Karapika has too much of a soft spot for these other people, and that if it were to come down to it, if the Phantom Troop basically called his bluff and tried to or did kill them, then Karapika would no longer have any bargaining chips because he actually won't end up letting them be hurt. Yeah. So the other thing that is going to go on inside this episode, where this is this is uh, number two in the important things to know about this episode, um, is that the internal fighting that is in between the troop members um, is going to be coming to a head while another troop member, um, who's secretly not a troop member, is planning to get the fuck away with murder. Um, that is Hisoka, um, who has contacted Killua's brother, who is also an assassin, um, and he has convinced him to come in and uh, and take his place with the other Phantom Troop members um, and cycle out with Hisoka so that Hisoka can run after um, Krolo because he, as we've learned before, he really wants to fight and defeat Krolo. He wants to know how strong he really is um, because he gets turned on by it. Um, and, uh, the, the thing that he is going to give away is that, um, he, um, he, he doesn't really want to listen to what the other troop members are even talking about this time. The only thing that he cares about, and that's, uh, he keeps on reaching out to, uh, Kurapika about is just knowing exactly where this trade is going to happen so that he can be there in time, uh, to catch Krolo while his defenses are down. Um, and the rest of the yeah, and the, are not the, there. The trade is actually set up um, between this episode and the previous one. Essentially, Karapika has sworn Pakunoda to secrecy, mm-hmm. has sworn the entire troop to not hurt Gon and Killua in any way. Um, there's actually a really sweet moment at the end of 57 where Karapika has called the troop members and is like, one of my demands is that Gon and Killua come to no harm. 
and Finks is one of the troop members who's talking to him, and he's like, well, actually, we, you know, they tried to escape, and we had to break a couple of their bones. And what we see is that he's lying because he's he wants to break their bones. And Karapika's like, okay, well, we're done here, and hangs up on him. <laughs> and he has to, like, call back and be like, all right, I was lying about that. They're fine. So, basically, Gon and Killua are to be protected. Pakunoda can't d- relay any of the information that she has about them. And so she she has to make this decision about whether or not to free Gon and Killua and return them to Karapika. And the conditions of doing that are that she come with them by herself, no other troop members. Otherwise, Krolo dies. If anything has happened to them, Krolo dies. Mm. And only if she comes alone with them unharmed will he exchange them for Krolo unharmed. Yep. And that's the, you know, they they basically have a lot of internal conflict about how to how much of that to honor, uh, but that's the deal. Yeah. So the, the last thing that we're going to see, um, which is the third most important part, um, is that uh, there is going to be a deal that is going to be struck within these two episodes um, with Kuropika basically making a deal with the devil with his nin um, about exactly what the terms are going to be on uh, before even setting up the trade. So um, she is going to uh, go to Kuropika uh, to find out that uh, what his terms are and to be sworn into secrecy by Kuropika by his judgment chain. The first and foremost thing that she she has to agree to um, is that... Uh, Crollo is going to be um, is going to be stripped of all of his nen and his ability to speak with these people that have become his family. And if he breaks, well, she doesn't know that actually. Wait, what? No, she does. She doesn't she know that. Oh, I did. I thought she agreed to just her specific. Oh hell no, no um, she... requirements, but not his. Yeah. So in order for him to survive, um, Crollo has to has to agree inside of the judgment chain. Um, to not, never use his nan again, um, and to not speak to the Phantom Troop members, or he will be stabbed in the heart, which is agreed to. And then... Um, yeah, she, I just didn't think that she knew about it. Oh, that. yeah, she's the one that agrees to it. Um, and she... Oh, okay. Yeah, and then um, she also agrees that she is not going to talk about anything that she saw or relay any information in any way of what she saw, or um, or speak about uh, who Kirapika is at all, and if she does, she is going to be killed. She goes back to the Phantom Troop. She uh, she needs to go in. She just gets Kilwan and gone. She takes them and she goes away. There's some infighting. They decide that they're going to be fine with with this going on. She goes off to get Krolo. Um, yeah, there's okay. There's there's a an interesting beat here actually when they they decide finally to let her get away. Which is basically that, like they're they're kind of on the fence about it. They're sort of voting down the middle, and then one guy is like, "Hey," he asks another member, "Like, what's the worst case scenario?" Oh yeah, and that guy's like, "Well, they could have already killed Crollo. They could kill Pakanoda. We could lose our hostages, and they could escape." And the guy's like, "No, the worst case scenario is that we all die." Yeah, and that's why she has to go. Yeah, and they're like, "All right." <laughs> That's true. It's pretty. It's pretty interesting, and they're like, "This is the way that the spider survives the easiest." Um, 
Anyways, yeah. she is going to go and bring Kilowatt and Gon to the hostage exchange. Hisoka is going to arrive at the same time, betraying them um, and saying that he wants to battle with Krolo. There is uh, a moment where he just doesn't seem like he ever appeared at all, and they just do the hostage exchange. Um, and then there is a brief moment where Kilowatt and Kirapika and Leorio and Melody are all on a ship and they're flying away. And talking about how they're like, oh, I'm happy we made it. And then it cuts down to this amazing moment where um, the other Phantom Troop member has gone back to the the Phantom Troop. And Krolo is there with Ahsoka. Uh, Ahsoka's like, I don't need this then. And takes off his tattoo that he's gotten on. Uh, he put on his back with his, uh, with his bungee gum. And um, Krolo is just like, oh, so that means I can talk to you. Oh, let me explain how this judgment chain works and how I'm not actually able to fight you anymore because I don't have any Nen. And then it cuts back to Hisoka and like they do this amazing moment where it cuts to like this weird animation style of him being like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he's so upset. This whole arc has been about him posturing to get to fight this guy and he finally gets what he wants and then the guy can't fight anymore and there's no like Hisoka's only in it for the sport of a good brawl so he's like all right fine bye (laughs) anyways um the last beat of this episode is going to um the the first thing that is going to happen um is that uh we are going to see the phantom troop members um, they are gathered up and Pocanota uh, has decided that she has the ability to fire these bullets into, um, these mind bullets into these people. Mind bullets. Um, yeah, and- she's got a six shooter, so she can only, she can only shoot six people at once yeah. out of the, what is it? It's like, I think it's 13, like eight members. Yeah. It's like, it's something like yeah. that. So she decides that it, maybe nine. She decides that it's going to be um, the the original members that she knows, um, and so she fires six bullets at the same time after asking if they are uh, if they trust her. Um, this is going to explain all of her thoughts, all of her feelings, every single thing that she knows and has known about this situation into their heads. But because she relays this information all at the same time it is uh, enough for the judgment chain to seek judgment upon her and stabs her in the heart, killing her. The thing that they had learned about this... It's kind of sad, actually. Like, these episodes really make you empathize with Pakunoda. She's kind of the protagonist here, Mm -hmm. and it's it's sad when she goes. Yeah. So the, the big thing that we are going to learn from this and the reason why she changed her mind inside of the first place was that um, she had spoken to Gon, and like Gon always does, um, he pulls at people's heartstrings, um, letting them know that like they they shouldn't kill people because uh, material attachments and people's attachments are more important um, than just whatever this this bond is that they have over being like a, a troop of of people that shouldn't care about companionship. They should only care about the spider and the organization. And he's like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we would have done in uh, like, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, but it matters who you're connected with. And that's the most important thing inside of this world. And it really reckon, um, what, uh, what is the word? Resonates. Resonates with Pakanoda into like, 
into her psyche so much that when she translates this to the other members of the Phantom Troop, and we're going to see that, like, Gon, Killua, um are going to go and try to bid on, um, on Greed Island. Greed Island. They meet up with Finks, and Finks, instead of just fucking killing them immediately, which is what you think that yeah, he Finks might do. Yeah, and Phaetan, yeah. who are t- two of the most dangerous members, who have explicitly stated over and over again their intent to kill them in lieu of saving Krollo. Yeah. So it seems like they might get killed. Yeah, and they express immediately that they understood from this heartfelt memory from her that they shouldn't do that. And that the reason this was going on in the first place was because of this deep, deep, like, understanding of what it means to have this companionship and what it means also with Kurapika inside of the first place. Is that if Kurapika was standing in front of them, I don't know if they would have reacted this way. But since it was just gone in yeah. Killua, they understood where they came from and they had, like, this understanding with them of, like, we're not going to kill you because we understand your pain and what you would have done in yeah. the same situation. Basically they were kind to Pakunoda. And so they are no longer at risk of being harmed by the phantom troop. Yeah. The other thing is this is the last episode of the phantom troop arc. They phantom troop will for the most part survive it and they're still out there and we'll see them in the future um, sort of off to the side of the main plot. But the big question is how do they resolve this giant conflict that they have with Karapika? Uh, because while the hostage exchange is over, they now know who he is and what he can do. Mm-hmm. And so why don't they go and kill him? Does he have to live in fear? And we're actually going to get an answer to that, which is essentially that sometimes when Nen is used out of a great anger or sense of revenge, it can take on a life of its own, even if the Nen user is killed. So generally, when Nen is used, uh, it will stop once the user is killed, even if it would other otherwise maintain. But when it has that sort of dark force behind it, it can take on a life of its own and start to basically act on its own for what seems like some amorphous amount of limited time after that. And so, basically, because Judgment Chain is around um, Krolo's heart, and because he can't use his Nen right now, he wouldn't necessarily be able to protect himself, and the Judgment Chain might attack him if Karapika is dead. Yeah. And so, for the time being, they are no longer after Karapika, nor do they want to kill him, because it might result in Krolo's death, or permanent trap in this Nen Chain prison. Yeah. But... They mentioned that there are there are rumors that there are some Nen users whose ability is to dispel the Nen of other Nen users, and you can see that Krolo is on a journey to find one of them. Yeah. And that's going to be basically the end of the Phantom Troop's involvement with our protagonists. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, uh, we are going to uh, change up the way that we're doing our ending just a little bit. Um, we are going to be uh, returning back to Hunter x Hunter in a couple of weeks. Um, the next time we are going to be cutting in, we're going to be getting into uh, Greed Island. Blake has said it in a different way. Oh, Yes! <laughs> Greed Island, motherfucker! Anyway, I'm so excited. Stick with us after the credits, and we will uh, talk about what's on the next actual episode of Blake Spencer. Good job. 
Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level five sound wizard. Our podcast is ad free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon members get exclusive member content and unlock group perks. Follow us on Twitter at BNS Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help us chart on iTunes. And remember, new episodes come out every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Dimension W. I don't know what's going to be happening on this next episode, but I have a very particular set of skills. (laughs) You're the best at what you do. Oh my god. My set of skills is not good enough to come up with an ending of this episode. Well, you know, we do what we can. (laughs) 